Well, church, great to be with you today. My name is Matt Blackwell. I serve as one of our pastors and elders and preachers here at the Austin Stone. And we are continuing our series in the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible or a phone, I'm going to ask you to turn it on or flip it open to Matthew chapter 14. And we're in one of those passages. And this is the reason why we preach through the Bible verse by verse, or at least section by section, is when we get to a section like this, uh, we feel sort of the, uh, the desire to hit the fast forward button, to jump back to the parables or the miracles of Jesus, because we find ourselves in a tough passage today. Uh, it reads more like a Netflix original than it does uh, a, uh, what you think would be in the New Testament. It is a crazy story. It's a story of a power hungry king, a crazy birthday party, a seductive dancer, uh, an overprotective mother, and it all leads to a murdered disciple. It's the story of an unjust death of a faithful man named John the Baptist. But the good news for us is this, is that there are no wasted words in the Bible. God has these words for us. And man, I'm so thankful for God's uh, grace in allowing me to spend time in this. And my hope for you, my prayer for you, I've been praying for this all week for three things specifically for those who are hearing today, that your boldness would increase that you would heed the warning of the scriptures and that your heart may be filled with hope, that you might have an increased confidence, that you might heed the caution and that you might find yourself comforted. That's where we'll be in Matthew 14. So I'm gonna invite you to jump in with me. We're gonna start in verse one. Here's what it says. It says, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work within him. All right, hit the pause button real quick because here's not on your screen, but in the text, uh, pause because here's what's happening is Herod the Tetrarch is ruling the day. He's ruling in this time and he hears of the fame of Jesus. So Jesus' ministry is growing in this time. And uh, Herod, who serves as a king, essentially uh, sees himself more as a theologian in this moment. And he says, obviously, that's John the Baptist raised from the dead. But the question is, why in the world would he think that? Well, the answer is because he has a guilty conscience. And what happens in the rest of this text is this is a flashback. So if you're a movie editor, this is where you insert the flashback effect, right? The wavy lines and the, the harp, this is where that happens. And what happens in the next verse is that we're looking back, we're flashing back on something that happened previously between the interactions between Herod the Tetrarch and John the Baptist. So verse three, for Herod had seized John and he bound him and he put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. And prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother. And what a crazy story. Like I don't remember this 
this episode of Veggie Tales growing up, like you don't get this one, uh, but what in the world is happening? In order to understand this story, we're gonna have to sort of understand the characters in this story. And the first one we see is really the unjust death of a faithful man named John the Baptist. Now, John is the second cousin of Jesus. Early on in his life, he was given a ministry aim. He was, he was going to prepare God's people for the coming Messiah. He was given one message and he repeated this message over and over. Here's what your message will be, John. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And John, this brother would preach that message wherever and whenever he could. It was on blast and on repeat. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he would preach it to any and everyone who would listen, including those in power, including kings. But it turns out that Power-hungry kings don't particularly like being called out by locust-eating prophets. And so what happens is that he is taken and he is thrown into prison because John was calling out specifically Herod's unlawful marriage. And while it was absolutely true, everything that John was saying was true, it just turns out it was wildly offensive and incredibly dangerous because he's calling out this relationship between Herod and Herodias. You might say, so what? Who cares about that relationship? Well, there's some problems with this particular love story and that Herod was already married and so was Herodias. In fact, Herodias was married to Herod's brother, a guy named Philip. And so for them to be together, Herod divorces his wife and he goes and marries his sister-in-law, check it out, who's also his niece. So this is some weird stuff going on in this particular dysfunctional Family, So he marries his sister-in-law, who is his niece. And John comes along and has the audacity to say, man, that ain't right. That, 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 that's not right. Not only in a judgmental way, he's not judging him. He's, he's saying that's not right according to the Old Testament, the, the Deuteronomy law of what marriage is. That Herod was coming along and he was just uh, reducing the meaning of marriage. He was taking away the sacredness of sex and the union, the covenant that God created in Genesis and the laws that he set forth in Deuteronomy to what marriage was supposed to be. And so John comes along and he speaks against it. And one of the things I love about John is this brother was not worried about what people thought at all. He would say whatever he was called to say. He was unafraid, he was unashamed, he was unapologetic. If it was true, he would say it, even if it was not politically expedient, even if it turned out it was dangerous. And that John was going to say what was true. But the question that sort of pops up as I read this is what in the world would lead John to speak such a truth like this? He had to know it was gonna get him in trouble. I mean, you go talking against the marriage of the king you have to know something is gonna go down, right? It's gonna not end well for you. But the fact of the matter is John was so bold in his conviction, he had to, he had to know something or someone who was even more powerful than Herod. And in fact, he did. He knew a more powerful king and more enduring kingdom, a more hopeful future because he knew Jesus. That's, that's what we see in John chapter one, verse 29, when uh, we, we see John see Jesus, here's what he says. He says, the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 34, I've seen and I've borne witness that this is the Son of God. See, why did John have such boldness? Why did he have such conviction? It's because he knew Jesus. 
He knew who he was. He wasn't afraid of the powers that be because he knew the one that held all authority. He knew the king of kings. And because of that, it led to a boldness for him to proclaim what was good and right. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that his boldness doesn't end in sort of this fairy tale ending. As a matter of fact, it ends really poorly for John. He, he preaches God's word, he tells the truth and he ends up dead. I don't know if, if y'all struggle with that. Like I'm reading this and going, man, John was faithful. He told the truth. He, he was a, a, a faithful man of God. He even baptized Jesus. A little eccentric, right? Eating locusts, not my thing, even with honey on them, not gonna go there. But, but he was a faithful man who told the truth. And what that led to, you would hope that the story would end somehow with him being celebrated, with him being at least exonerated, but it's instead it ends up with him being decapitated. That his, his life is cut short. And I wonder if there's a part of us that thinks this, Man, if we tell the truth, if we live a faithful life, even if we make big sacrifices for God, we sort of have this relationship with God that if we do our part, he does his part. Our part is we do what we're supposed to do and God gives us the hashtag blessed life. That's his part in our relationship. But that's not what happens with John. John tells the truth and he gets a sword to the throat. You say, what in the world is going on there? Because every person, if you go through the Bible, you start reading these stories, every person that God uses in significant ways goes through some semblance of suffering or, or challenge or difficulty. I mean, just go through the Old Testament, go through the New Testament and you start seeing Abraham lost his home. Moses spent 40 years in a desert. Joseph, that brother was thrown in a pit by his brothers. That wasn't bad enough. So they take him out of the pit and they sell him into slavery. Mary lost a son. John the Baptist lost his head. Jesus lost his life. That everyone who God uses in significant ways goes through challenge and pain and suffering. John was no different and neither was Jesus. Because what's happening is John the Baptist, remember he's a forerunner of the Christ, both in his life and in his death. That Jesus too was gonna come tell the truth. That Jesus too was gonna preach a new kingdom. That Jesus too was gonna come and speak against the powers that be. And Jesus too was gonna die an unjust death. See, but the only thing that makes John's life not, uh, his death not pointless was that Jesus died an unjust death, but three days later rose again. Because the resurrection brings newness of life. It's not tragic because he spoke truth and he died, but guess what? Jesus rose again. And because of that, we can take great hope in that. And John was bold, but he dealt with some significant consequences. And so here's the deal, church. If, if you think about it, like what is it that, that God's calling you to do? What is God calling you to do? What, what is he calling you to say? What risk is he calling you to take? Is God calling you to, uh, to, to do something, to say something, to take some sort of risk? See, John did that and he paid the ultimate price for doing it. See, but it was worth it. It was worth it. See, his life wasn't tragic because his death, uh, his death was unjust. No, his life was well lived. Jesus, as a matter of fact, says, there was no one like John ever born. 
That's not the most tragic part of the story. The most tragic part of the story isn't the unjust death of John the Baptist. The most tragic part of this story is the unrepentant heart of an arrogant king. And that's what we see in the life of Herod. So to understand the story, we've got to get a little backstory on uh, this guy named Herod. So Herod the Tetrarch is who we have here in Matthew 14. He's the son of Herod the Great. Now Herod the Great, we read about back in Matthew chapter two. He was a cruel and wicked king. He was the guy who ordered the, the death of all the babies under age two when he heard from the Magi that a new king had been born. His brother was cruel. He had three of his six kids, his three of his six sons put to death because he was suspicious that they might want his kingdom. So three of the boys that did survive their father's wrath uh, split the kingdom upon his death and Herod the Tetrarch is one of those. And now he's ruling uh, in this particular part of the world where Jesus is doing his ministry. But that was Herod the Tetrarch's role model. That was his father. And so now Herod is married to his sister-in-law, who's also his niece, and it gets more weird. It's like this crazy TMZ type of thing happening here. At his birthday party, his daughter-in-law, who's also his niece, comes and does this seductive dance, this provocative dance at his birthday. And it pleases him so much. He's so wildly amused by this that he makes this young girl a promise. I'll give you anything you want up to half of my kingdom. So this girl goes to her mom and says, mom, I got this opportunity. I can have anything I want. And the mother is filled, Herodias is filled with such uh, hatred, such anger, such bitterness towards John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist was the one that called her out and she's filled with such anger towards him. Not only does she want John killed, she wants him humiliated. So she says, I want his head put on a plate and served at this very birthday party. It is messed up. It is a messed up story. And we see in the middle of it that, that Herod's sort of conflicted here because we see in verse five that he too wants John put to death. But in verse nine, it says that he's sorry that he has to do it. Because Herod had this sort of love-hate relationship with John, particularly John's preaching. We read in, in Mark chapter six, verse 20, that Herod heard him, heard John preach and was greatly perplexed and yet he heard him gladly. See, Herod would listen to John's preaching and he would hear him with gladness and he would press in and lean into what John had to say. But it says that he was perplexed. And that word in the Greek is this, this really strong word that essentially means this. It means to, to stand at a crossroads and not know which way to go. Herod wasn't perplexed about what John was saying. It was pretty clear. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He wasn't perplexed about the, the message. He was perplexed about whether or not he was gonna actually do anything about it. See, he heard it with gladness. He, he followed John on Instagram and downloaded his podcast and listened to his sermons. But every time he heard the gospel proclaimed, he stood in indecision, looking out perplexed, never willing to take a step of faith towards that which John proclaimed. He just stood there confused. He was in perpetual indecision over obedience to the word proclaimed. He never turned, he never repented. He never took that step. And slowly over the course of his life, that resistance turns to hard heartedness. And that's why I say this is the most tragic part of the story because Herod had every opportunity 
to turn, to repent, to follow Jesus. But there's a point in his life later in the Gospels that we see Herod literally standing face to face with Jesus right before the crucifixion. And instead of repenting, instead of worshiping, Herod mocks and he ridicules and he sends Jesus out towards Golgotha, towards, the crucif- towards his, his death, towards his crucifixion. That Herod never was, was willing to do that. He had every opportunity. He, here's the deal is that he was a terrible leader. He was a cruel person. He was an adulterer, he was a murderer. But even in that, that the grace of God was sufficient for the most grievous of sinners, but yet he continued to harden his heart. He was too unwilling to let go of the lust, the power, all that he held onto, clung to it. And at the end of his life, it was all taken from him anyway. He died in exile without a kingdom, without power, without all the things that he clung to. They were taken from him anyway, and he died apart from the grace of God. That's why I read maybe some of the most haunting words that Jesus ever said in Mark 8, 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but yet forfeit his soul? And so church, before we start getting too uh, pious and too judgmental of this guy named Herod, I wonder if we think about the power that he had, like we're not kings, we don't have that kind of power, but the power that, that he had, even the little amount of power that we have, we assume that we have enough power to control our own hearts. And man, that is a grave mistake, that you don't even have the power to control your heart. So today, Today, you're standing in perpetual indecision. You're perplexed. You're hearing God's message proclaimed. And there you are standing at a crossroads. My my, my hope for you, I'm imploring you, take that step of faith. Don't harden your heart like Herod did because there may be a point where your your heart isn't leaning into Jesus, isn't even open to that which it's open to right now. But that window of opportunity closed. And my hope for you is that it doesn't close on you. To the point to where maybe even if you stood face to face with Jesus and looked him in the eyes, you too would say, I don't believe I'm out. But man, if today, if today there's even an inkling, would you just say, I I wanna press in. I wanna believe John the Baptist where Herod did not. Where John preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Where John preached, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Would you today, the word behold means to look up, look up from your phone, look up from your life, look up from your problems and behold Jesus to see the Lamb of God who does what? He takes away the sins of the world. Guess what? He takes away yours. Would you just take that step of faith? Would you behold him? Would you turn, turn from sin and turn to him? You might think, man, I'm too far gone. I'm too grievous of a sinner. It's not true that today don't harden your heart. And when that happens, not only do we receive the forgiveness for our sins, we receive the joy of eternal life. And that's what we find in the end of this story. Verse 12 feels like maybe one of those verses that's just a, a transition, but I think there's something for us, even in verse 12, where we see the unwavering hope of grieving friends. Verse 12, here's what it says. And his disciples came and they took the body and they buried it and they went and told Jesus. They do two things in their grief, right? right? They go and they have a funeral. They grieve the loss of their friend. 
And then in that moment where they had nothing else to do, nowhere else to turn, what do they do? They go and they tell Jesus. And I love that. Can you imagine these disciples, like their whole life, their vocation, their, their world had been wrapped up in following John the Baptist. And in an instant, it was taken away and they don't know what to do, where to go, who to talk to. And what do they do in that moment is they go and they tell Jesus. And church, there's a lot of us right now who are grieving, grieving loss, loss of normalcy, loss of a job, loss of friendships, loss of nearness, loss of loved ones, that we're sort of bearing up under the weight of weariness and heaviness. We're trying to make decisions, but we don't know what the future looks like. And so there's this sort of weariness, this sort of grief in us. And my hope for you, even this morning, was that you would just take note from these disciples that in your grief, you just take it to Jesus. You come to him and say, Lord, would you carry this load? It's too heavy for me. And he says to you, come to me all who are weary and heavy and I will give you rest. So why, why can we take our grief to Jesus? Well, we're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, a grieving church that, that Paul the apostle talks to. Look what he says. He says, you may not grieve as others do who have no hope, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Did you see it? Why do we have hope? Why do we have hope not like the world does? We have hope because Jesus died and Jesus rose again. And he will bring with him all of those who have died. You see, John's death wasn't a tragedy because Jesus' death wasn't a tragedy. Jesus died an unjust death, just like John, but he rose again. See, this, this story is smack in the middle of the Gospel of Matthew. We work in our way through Matthew and we find ourselves in chapter 14 of 28. And right in the middle of the story is the story of John the Baptist's beheading. It's, it's when we, we're supposed to feel the weight of it. It's like, man, is evil winning? Is corruption winning? Are, are powerful kings the ones that rule? Is lust and greed and pride, are all of those things taking root and gonna, gonna win the day? And Matthew brilliantly, as he's writing his gospel, is doing two things. He is, he's looking back on a flashback in the life of John. He's saying, hey, remember John? Remember that guy who lived a faithful life and died an unjust death? His life isn't tragic, why? Because we're not only are we flashing back, but we're foreshadowing. We're looking forward to another one who is gonna not only speak the truth, but who is the way and the truth and the life. Not only who is gonna talk about kingdoms, he is the king. Not only the one who is gonna die unjust death, but would not stay in the grave, who would three days later raise from the dead and with him bring those who are in him. So his life is, is, is not tragic because Jesus's life isn't tragic. We are celebrating that resurrection. He didn't stay in the grave. And so that's why Jesus with full confidence can say to his disciples in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And he goes on to say in John 16, in the world you will have tribulation, amen? Feel that? Watch what he says. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Man, so today, if you are grieving, church, if you are feeling the weight, you're, you're, maybe you've cried more tears in the last six months than you possibly thought. Maybe you've cried them so much that, that you got none left. 
Maybe you're grieving some sort of, of loss. You're feeling the weight of that. You're just weighed down. Would you take it to Jesus? You can take all of that to Jesus and you don't overwhelm him with where you're overwhelmed. Today, you can take it to Jesus. Why? Because he's the sacrificial lamb. He understands. He knows right where you are. He knows the, the frailty of what it means to be human. He knows what temptation is like. He knows what being rejected is like. He knows what pain is like. He knows what death is like. He's the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world. You can take it to him. But not only that, he's the king. He's the king who uses power, not like Herod for self. He's the king who uses his power and all the authority that he has to rescue and to save and to redeem his church and to build a new kingdom. And so you can take that to Jesus, knowing that he knows what it feels like and knowing that he has the power to do something about it. Church, we, we get to celebrate that today. What a crazy story that we find smack in the middle of the book of Matthew. But we take three things. Today, we take boldness from John, that we can live and speak the truth confidently and trust God with the consequences. We take warning from Herod that opportunities to repent, they won't last forever. And so if God is calling this today, pay attention. And last, we take hope. We take hope from the disciples that even in the darkest and greatest grief, we can take that to Jesus. And my hope is that you do that today. And that today, through God's word, you're given confidence, caution, and comfort. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for even the, the challenging and the difficult words we find even in a text like Matthew 14. And so Lord, would you lead us to more boldness that we might not be so afraid of the consequences of speaking what is true that we shrink back, but fill us with confidence. Father, I pray for those that are hearing and listening this today that, that if you are pressing in on their heart if they're standing in sort of perpetual indecision that today would be the day of salvation. They might not know what that means or what the future holds, but today they would say, God, I wanna behold you. I wanna turn from sin. I wanna trust in the sufficiency of the cross of Christ. And that today their sins would be as white as snow because they receive full forgiveness. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So God, would you be kind? and lead us that way. And finally, we pray for those who are grieving. Lord, we pray that you would lead them, comfort them, show them your nearness and kindness. You're near to the brokenhearted. Would you be near to them today? So lead your church. Continue to be honored and glorified by her. And even in this song, as we look to you, Lord, would you hear our hearts? Would you hear our voices? Would you take a, a great delight in the worship of your people? We ask that in Christ's name, amen.